0: Following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Having said those things, let's talk some more about Advent and about the two passages of Scripture that were read a moment ago. As I mentioned at the welcome this morning, uh, today is the first Sunday in Advent, which means it's also the first day of the liturgical year. The church calendar begins on the first Sunday of Advent. So uh, happy new year to church nerds. Right. And I know we have a lot of new people here at Artisan and some visitors today as well. That's great. Um, I won't ask anybody to do show of hands, but I, guess if I, I would guess that if I asked people to raise your hand if this is your first Advent with Artisan, we have a large percentage of the room that would raise their hands. Um, And maybe you don't even know what Advent is if you haven't been in a liturgical-style church or one like us that tries to fake it. um, You might not have ever even heard of this season. Uh, So if Advent's new to you, what you need to know is that this is a season of waiting, of anticipation. Advent is a word uh, that means onset or coming or arrival, something like that. And it's in this season, the four Sundays and the weeks in between them leading up to Christmas, that Christians have traditionally engaged in a period of intentional waiting. You might say waiting in faith. And as I was thinking about this over the past week or so, it occurred to me how many different forms waiting can take. And more specifically, more to the point, how many different emotions, a whole range of emotions that can accompany the act of waiting. Think of these the following people who are waiting for something, and imagine the different emotions that they would feel. How about uh, expectant parents waiting for their baby to be born? Abel, uh, my first son, our first son, was born 13 days after his estimated due date. We were waiting. Tracy, especially. And then he took four days, so we were waiting some more. (laughs) How about the family of somebody who's in the OR waiting for the surgeon's report about how the procedure went? Some of you have been in that situation. That's a different kind of waiting. What about, imagine a kid at the ballpark, and she's got her baseball glove on, and she's waiting for that foul ball, which is definitely going to come right to her. this game. Nobody cares about baseball anymore, but when I was a kid, there was a sport called baseball that we liked. <laughs> Sometimes you would go watch it be played. Okay, so maybe that, wasn't, that didn't communicate quite as well. How about this one? I just talked to somebody who had his, um, his, uh, his TV provider switch out this week. So if you ever switched from Dish to Time Warner or the other way back and forth, and you're waiting for the technician to arrive to hook it up? We'll be there sometime between 12 and 4, probably this week, so if you could be there every day between those hours, (laughs) uh, we'll let you know. After we get there, we'll give you a call, right? (laughs) On the phone that you don't have, because that's what we're hooking up. This is the kind of waiting that is very frustrating to some people. How about, have you ever been a traveler waiting for a delayed plane in an airport? Oh my goodness, that's the worst kind of waiting. Not the worst, but it's one of the worst. Have you ever been at the airport waiting for someone you love who you haven't seen in a year? to land, and to embrace that person. Have you ever been sitting at a table in a restaurant by yourself, 20 minutes past the appointed time, waiting for your date to arrive? (laughs) So, when you wait, you can feel anxious, excited, happy, frightened, dreadful, impatient, longing, giddy, (laughs) and the list goes on and on and on. So when we think about intentional, faithful, spiritual waiting during the season of Advent, it's probably helpful to remember that waiting itself is a fairly complex thing. It can take us a lot of different directions emotionally and therefore it can take us a lot of different directions spiritually as well. There's waiting that's ecstatic, and there's waiting that is excruciating, and there's a lot of space in between. And that's normal. So what I'd like to do this morning is make three brief observations about faithful waiting in Advent. You know me, I'm not usually a three-point preacher, that's not my game, but sometimes it works out that way. Here's the first thing, the first observation about faithful waiting during the season of Advent We live in the tension between Jeremiah's vision and Luke's vision. What do I mean by that? Well, those two passages of scripture that you heard read, one from the prophet Jeremiah in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, one from the the evangelist Luke in, in in the Christian scriptures, the New Testament. The most obvious meaning of what I'm saying when I say we live in the tension between Jeremiah's vision and Luke's vision is that uh, there are two different comings of Jesus that we anticipate at Advent. Traditionally, Christians observe Advent, and they think two ways about this. One is we place ourselves kind of, um, uh, I can, the word is escaping me, when you are um, with somebody else, you're doing the way they feel you. None of those words are the right one, and I'm sorry that I lost the right one. But you're, you're kind of imagining yourself. You're placing yourself in the position of the uh, Jewish believers who are waiting for their Messiah, and Jesus was that Messiah, we Christians believe. There's all kinds of places in the Hebrew Bible where that type of anticipation and waiting and longing for the Messiah to come is represented. But today's passage from Jeremiah is the one that we're thinking about right now. That's the first coming, the first advent of Jesus. But there's a second coming, isn't there? The second advent of Jesus, his return to judge the earth, to establish a new creation. And this is anticipated in many places in the Christian scriptures, but for today's purposes, it's expressed in the Gospel of Luke, in Jesus' own words. Although, even that is a little bit tricky. Because he did say that thing about this generation will not pass away before these things come to pass, and we have to make some sense of that. Um, Put a pin in that for now, because that's not really where we're going. Suffice it to say that there's a second advent that we anticipate as Christians when we are uh, in this time of year. We put ourselves in the shoes of the Jewish people anticipating their Messiah, and we put ourselves in our own shoes and the shoes of the rest of the world waiting for the return of Christ. But beyond that uh, academic description of what Advent traditionally celebrates and the way the church has typically understood it, there is a deeper, more visceral tension. Consider this. We Christians, we worship a man who we believe was the Messiah, the promised king, and we believe that we have salvation from sin and death and the evil that threatens to overcome our lives and our world. We believe that. His work on the cross, his death and resurrection, offer us this salvation as God's free gift to all of us. We believe that as Christians. And yet, on the other hand, we also still see the mark of sin and death and evil all around us in our world and in our own daily lives by what we have done and by what we have left undone, the confessional prayer says, doesn't it? All you need to do is look at a newspaper, which is a thing they used to publish like on real paper that told you all the things that were going around and happening in the world. Or look at your preferred uh, online news site. You get a little endorphin rush by having the, your own political views uh, reinforced that way. And you also see all the horrible things that are happening in the world. Do I need to list them for you? And we believe that Jesus' return in judgment and in restoration is when things will finally be made right. As Julian of Norwich said, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. So which is it? Did Jesus save the world already? Or not yet? Well, yes. Yes. As some of you know, because I like to talk about it, this is actually an academic theological term. Already slash not yet. I love to imagine the theologian sitting around the table. Like, how do we describe that? You know that thing where Jesus has already come and he's already been crucified and he's already been raised from the dead, and he's, like, the salvation is already available, but, but the world is not yet quite made totally right. What should we call that? You know that already, not yet thing? Let's call it that. (laughs) Like the most unimaginative thing possible. But it does communicate the reality, doesn't it? We live in an already slash not yet tension. That's the world that we live in. And that's the first observation about Advent. We stand in the tension between Jeremiah's vision of the Messiah to come and of Luke's vision, Jesus' own vision of the way things will end. And you need to embrace that tension to be followers of Jesus. So here's the second uh, Advent observation. We don't know exactly what we're waiting for. And that's okay. Now, stay with me here because this statement is probably a little bit more of a personal theological opinion than some little slice of formal Christian doctrine. But I think it's a safe opinion. I think it's self-evident from Scripture one that's pretty easy to back up, not least because we are in good company. In that first anticipation, that the faithful Jewish believers of the first century were waiting for their Messiah to come, they had a picture in their mind of what this Messiah would look like, what this promised king would do, how he would act, and what their lives would be like as a result. And is that what Jesus ended up being and doing? And is that what their lives ended up looking like? No, nothing at all like what they expected. Now, it makes sense to us in retrospect. We can go back and look at those prophecies about the Messiah and see how Jesus fits that story. Hindsight being twenty twenty in, in both life experience and in theological reflection. But a king who would conquer and liberate the oppressed by dying a humiliating death, I think it's safe to say that's not what people expected, nor what they wanted. So if one thing is for sure, it's that Jesus will surprise you. And I suspect that whatever the second advent ends up being, it's not going to be what a lot of people think. Remember that there are... uh, what to make of, of Jesus saying this generation will not pass away? I mean, there are explanations for that statement, but I find none of them entirely satisfying. And I went to school for a long time to think about this kind of thing. right? So if anybody tells you that they know exactly how things will end, they are selling something. Period. Follow the money, because that's what's going on. If anybody tells you they have it all figured out exactly. They're selling something. So we don't know exactly what we're waiting for. But that's okay. And let me tell you why I think it's okay. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say this. It starts this way. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Now, This is another end times kind of passage, another second coming kind of word. But listen to the instruction that follows. Above all, which means what? Is what he's about to say less important or more important than the thing he just said? It's more important. In fact, it's the most important thing. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. That's it. We don't know how it's going to end. Signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, distress among the nations, roaring seas and waves. But we do know one thing, and that's love. If you try to read the tea leaves and paint an exact picture of how everything's going to conclude you're going to be wrong in some way. But if you dedicate yourselves above all else to loving one another, you can't go wrong. Because no matter how things end, you'll be doing what Christ commanded and what he demonstrated in his own life and death. And finally, I want to end with this third observation about faithful waiting during the season of Advent. Waiting is a posture of faith in and of itself. Now, I'm not going to go get some Bible verse to prove this statement. I could do that. I've been around long enough to know how proof texting works. But this is a simple human pastoral observation. And I make it not in order to convince you of some theological truth, but to encourage you as your pastor. Those of you who heard me talk about the different kinds of waiting at the beginning of this talk, some of you placed yourselves in the waiting is excruciating end of the spectrum. And I'm not just talking about like, ooh, I'm so excited for Christmas, it's the worst, it's not here yet. I'm talking about life is really difficult for you. Full stop, or this year, or concerning theology or faith, whatever it might be. I want you to know if you're one of those people, I see you, I hear you, I am you. Those of you who are uh, checking your spiritual watch like the date, who's wondering if they've been stood up. Trying to decide if it's worth hanging on to faith at all or if you're just wasting your time. I see you too. And I hear you. And I have been you. And I want to encourage you that waiting is an act of faith in and of itself. You are here. You haven't given up. And that is enough for today. Waiting can be hard. That's a colossal understatement. It doesn't even come close to honoring and giving voice to whatever pain and suffering you may be experiencing, how you see it in the world, and how that lays siege to your ability to hang on to faith. It can be hard. It can it can feel impossible. But waiting is an act of faith and it's enough. So this Advent season, don't be afraid to be someone who's just waiting. I want to conclude with a prayer from this wonderful prayer book, The Divine Hours. This is The prayer appointed for the first week of Advent this year. Let's pray. Almighty God, give all of us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I have my prayer books out today (laughs) and I want to um, I wasn't going to do this so I didn't mark the page but I'll find it in a minute. I love the the words that this prayer book uses to call us to the table of the Lord. So I want to find them and use these. Friends, having heard the word of God proclaimed, it is now our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All who humbly put their trust in Christ and desire his help that they may lead a holy life, all who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them, all who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life, following the commandments of God and walking from now on in his holy ways, are invited to draw near with faith, and to receive this holy sacrament. Come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak, Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Our table will be open in a minute and you can come and receive the body and blood of Christ, remembering his sacrifice and receiving food for your souls can tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine and the juice. We have uh, gluten-free bread today as well. Um, if you'd like to receive prayer, a member of the prayer team will be here under this cross, I'm happy to pray with you, uh, with whatever might be going on in your life. I invite you all to respond in honesty and integrity, however the Spirit may be speaking in your life this morning. Let's continue to worship him together.